0: Welcome to Cars Yeah! Show number 187.
1: The one I like best is by Vince Lombardi, because I used to coach football when I when I taught high school. He said, perfection is not attainable, but if we chase perfection, we will catch
0: excellence. This is Cars Yeah! where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah! Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology state-of-the-art technology from noco your battery care source since 1914 get yours at geniuschargers.com hello automotive enthusiasts today i'm so excited to introduce a very special guest john wright john are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride
1: we are got the shoulder harness on ready to go
0: i love it when my guests come prepared that's great John Wright is from Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. He's a journalist who writes about cars, racing, and people in racing. And he writes for Vintage Race Cars Magazine, Victory Lane Magazine, and the Canadian publication, Old Autos. John's done some racing in his past in a Formula V and his race prepared MGB. Sounds like fun. So, John, I've told our listeners just a little tiny bit about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your history? your career, your interests, and, of course, your extreme passion for automobiles. Well,
1: when I was a kid in high school, a friend of mine and I would uh, ride our bikes to Beck Collegiate in London, Ontario, where I was born. And on the way, we'd pass Levin's Automotive. They sold British cars. Mm -hmm. And Ed would always have a uh, selection of Jaguars and MGBs on display. In addition to one day, we saw a race-prepared Jaguar galumphing down the street and it had a big dent in the hood, mm-hmm. or at least not in the hood, but in the roof. And I found out later that uh, Craig Hill, former Canadian driver, was a partner in the car. And his partner, Chip Comstock, had upended the car at uh, Harewood Acres and after arguing with the hay bale. And that was one of the things <laughs> that kind of made an impression on us right away. Later on, in, in high, after I'd finished high school, I picked up a three-year-old Austin Healy Bug-Eye Sprite. One set a record for two records, actually, three people in the car with the top up with their sleeping bags and 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 suitcases driving all the way from London, Ontario, up to Port Elgin, which is about a three hour drive, and the one fellow had to straddle the the drive shaft tunnel and shift gears for me as we as we went <laughs> up on that route. We also set set a record uh, I think a record with six people in the car with the top down but the rear end was dragging on the ground, so we only went a short period of time I think with, so. with those people in the car. <laughs> so from that point on, late high school, uh, university days, cars were very important in my life, and as soon as I graduated from university, I bought a 1967 Firebird convertible with the overhead Cam 6 manual transmission, heavy-duty suspension, and it was a, actually a very quick car. I could keep up with the 327 Chev, as we found out on the back street one night. So the kind of times rolled along, and when I started working, I was a high school teacher in, in, Waterloo, in Kitchener, Waterloo, Ontario. got to know a fellow by the name of Peter Pitchin. Peter told me he was going to start racing a uh, Formula V, and so I uh, said, hmm, I'll crew for you. So I crewed for him for two years, and then he decided to, to sell it, and uh, pr- pick up a race-prepared MGB. So I said, oh, Pete, I'll buy your Formula V. Cool. So I purchased it, and I found out how expensive racing could be, even um, a Formula V.
0: Yeah.
1: Very expensive. And uh, after I got married, my wife said, you know, you've spent enough money on that stupid car. She's always referred to my cars as stupid. <laughs> She's lovable, though. I, I, you think the world of her. She said, you've spent enough on that car that we could have had a down payment on a house. Hmm. Uh, thought about that for a minute or two and realized I wasn't going to become a Jackie Stewart and uh, sold the car and bought a house so after that kids arrived and uh, cars kind of took a second spot until we had a really nice 1976 Capri V6 with a 4 speed manual transmission enjoyed that car, it was quick And then uh, more kids came along, and we had to get boring family cars, like, let's see, a Ford uh, Crown Victoria sedan that would carry all of us, (laughs) and then later on a Chrysler van, which would carry all of us, plus all of our kids' stuff. And it wasn't until, oh, I think it was 1993, that we were kind of financially uh, set, and I was able to buy my toy, which I had for about 13 years Picked up a California car, a Mustang Hypo, four speed, heavy duty transmission, uh, suspension, and whatnot, and had that for 13 years. Nice. But then one night, one night I went out to the uh, garage and I looked at it, and I thought, ah, you know, could use a paint job. Paint's getting a little faded, and I had priced a paint job at Peter Klute's Legendary Motor Car, and it was about 5000 bucks. Now, this is in 2006, so. You're looking a few years ago now. Then I opened up the, the hood and looked at the engine. I said, oh, you know, that engine should come out. The exhaust manifold should be powder-coated, and uh, engine block should be resprayed. And Oh, yeah, while the engine's out, I should probably rewire the entire car because that's the original 1965 wiring, and it's getting a little tired. So I toted up all the bills in my mind, and I said, uh, hmm, that's about $10,000 worth of work. So I went in the house and told my wife, "You know, Sue, if we spent about $10,000 on the Mustang, we could make that car really sharp and it would probably win a $5 trophy at a cruise night." She looked at me and she said, "Hmm, that's about two nice trips." <laughs> so I sold the car. <laughs> Ouch. And uh, sold the car and uh, didn't spend the money. And since then I've been, well, before then I'd started writing about cars and now I go to vintage race weekends and cruise nights and talk to guys about cars and and interview people and get the stories published in uh, vintage race car and uh, victory lane and old autos so that kind of sums it up
0: very cool thank you for sharing all that you're welcome as we continue on your journey I always like to ask my guests about a success quote and this is a saying that perhaps has been instrumental in your life and forming your success. It's a really great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So, John, take the wheel.
1: Well, I came across a couple of quotes, but the one I like best is by Vince Lombardi, because I used to coach football when I I taught high school. He said, perfection is not attainable, but if we chase perfection, we will catch excellence. Mm. And I, I like to think that when I interview people, I catch some of the excellence that they've shown in, in autosport.
0: Very nice. And I love the fact of how you're incorporating that quote into what you're doing with interviews. That's a lot of what I'm doing here on Cars Yeah. So I will remember that quote. It, it reminds me of a great quote by uh, Royce or Henry Royce, where the strive for perfection and take the mm-hmm. best in everything. So that's a quote that many people have used. But the one by Vince Lombardi, is a, uh, that's the first time here on Cars Yeah. So that's great. Would you share with me a story that instigated your passion for cars? You talked about liking cars back when you were a kid, but is there one pivotal moment you can remember in your life when you really knew you were a car guy?
1: Well, my Uncle Bob Dunn was an executive with uh, General Motors, and uh, he was in the Foreign Service, and they'd come home on home leave every couple of years, and every time Uncle Bob would show up at our place with my cousins and my aunt, he would have a brand new Osmobile in the days when the Osmobile was a very powerful car, a supercar. Mm-hmm. He and my dad would go out in this Oldsmobile, and they, Uncle Bob would show my dad how fast the car would go. But my dad wasn't an Oldsmobile guy because we didn't have the money. But it was he always enjoyed going out with Uncle Bob, and I did, because Uncle Bob would drive very fast. Mm. And even if he was stopped by let's say an Ontario Police, Ontario Provincial Policeman, he'd always have a story for him and he, he had a silver tongue and he would always get off <laughs> and uh, that that kind of was interesting to me it was unusual for me Sure. when I was a kid
0: <laughs> The Oldsmobile, I love that
1: He'd get a Super 88 which had the Oldsmobile 98 engine in it but a lighter 88 body so it was uh, for the day it was a very powerful car.
0: When I was a little kid we had Oldsmobiles but we had Vista Cruiser station wagons. So, not quite mm-hmm. so sleek and sexy, but uh I remember having those Vista Cruisers as a kid. I liked them because we sat in the back seat, my sister and I, and we had our own skylight windows up there if you remember how those cars were designed.
1: Yeah. From yeah. the 60s.
0: So, very cool. John, what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl into the hood here and ask you to share with us a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced. In your life or your career, but the most important part of this question has to do with how you overcame it and what you learned from it.
1: Oh, goodness. Uh, Yeah, a few challenges. One of them was racing, and uh, I wasn't a very good racer. In fact, that's part of the reason why we gave up racing. I thought I was going to be the next Jackie Stewart, and it turned out I was going to be the next Sammy Glick. (laughs) But uh, we had. Gone to this one particular race, my wife and I. and Usually, we went with a couple of other people who acted as crew and just, you know, kind of got things, got the car off the trailer and whatnot. But this, this time, we didn't, and I, it was almost pretended the future because I had left my racing driver's license back in Toronto, where we lived at the time. So I had to leave Mosport, drive back to Toronto, get my license, come back to the track. Got there late, too late for qualifying, so they stuck me at the back of the pack. Uh, I was fine. I was usually back there anyway, even after qualifying. So we got out on the track, and I knew there was something wrong with the car. It wasn't handling right, and I had gone off at Moss Corner. Uh, I I don't know whether you know Moss Court, but there's a, a very sp- series of two corners that are kind of I called Moss Corner. Sterling doesn't know why it's called Moss Corner because he always liked the fast corners. Anyway, mm-hmm. car went off the track, and I I should have gone out, gotten out to check it, and I didn't. I got back out on the track, and the right rear radius rod on the suspension failed, and I did an abrupt left-hand turn right into the guardrail. Out. And bang. And going fairly fast, and uh, the whole front end of the car was smucked, and my right foot was smucked, and I uh, hit the guardrail, bounced back out into the track, and just then two other Formula Vs went by me, one on the right and one on the left. And I thought, hmm, this is kind of dangerous. Yeah. So, I hobbled out of the car, and fellow basically fell over the guardrail, and the ambulance came well, Sue was timing me, and my times were coming down and down and down, and then all of a sudden, the time started going up and up and up what's going on and Then she saw the ambulance going out, and that was a pivotal moment for her that's when she decided she didn't like racing anymore.
0: Yeah, bad they brought
1: me in they brought me in, and I had broken the little toes on my right foot, uh, not the big toe. And uh, it took a while to heal. I also chipped my ankle. And it couldn't put a cast on it. You couldn't put a cast on your toes or it chipped ankles. So we got the car back together and then the engine blew. Mm-hmm. And so that's when we decided, someone is trying to tell us something. And so I sold ended up selling the car for a pittance because, of course, even though it was repaired, it had been in an accident. And uh, so... Yeah. yeah, it was one of those things. It's it's an old story in racing. You start out with a large, you can make a start out with a small fortune in racing, but it, all it takes is a large fortune.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Racing is fraught with challenges in many ways, and that is a big part of it. So, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. And I'd love for you to share a story when you had a real aha moment in your career. It's one of those times when you realize that you know I think this is going to work. And if you can tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into a success.
1: I had been thinking about writing for a long time. I've been thinking about what I was going to do after I retired from teaching. Because you should retire to something, not from something. Because a lot of people, when they retire, they you know, people ask them, what are you going to do when you retire? You'll have a lot of time. Well, I'm going to golf a lot. Well, you can only golf so much in Canada. I mean, you could use a fluorescent <laughs> ball now on the golf courses, but you'd lose it in the snowdrift. Anyway, I had gotten a copy of this, uh, a promotional copy of this uh, magazine called uh, Old Autos, published in in Canada here. I thought, well, I'm going to try and see if they'll publish something that I'll write for them. And what I did is I did a story on an old track in Ontario called Green Acres. Hmm. And in particular about someone who raced there, his name was Peter Ryan. And he died in 1962 in a bad uh, crash in Reims, France. But he raced it at Green Acres. And so I tied in the story of how Green Acres got started. And one of the important drivers who drove there, oh, a lot of important Canadian drivers got their starts there, like uh, Ludwig Heimroth and Walt McKay and Francis Bradley, some of whom are, are not no longer with us. But anyway, I did this story and sent it into them. I thought, Well, well we'll see what happens. Well I got my issue of uh, old autos and they said, Well, along with it was a letter saying, Here's your you're writing for old autos now. Here's your copy that you get because you're a writer for them and we've published your story. And I went, Ho ho I think I made about ten bucks on that story. <laughs> but it was an aha moment. I thought, huh ah, somebody published my stuff. Yep. And then I got a phone call from a local person talking about when he was a kid, <clears throat> and he would sneak under the fences at Green Acres and watch the races. And he thought, hey, this is, this is something I did when I was a kid. <laughs> so that was, that, was, uh, that was gratifying. It was ego boosting, is what it was.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Some validation that what you wanted to do does have some value to somebody. Fantastic. How about proudest moments in your career? I'm sure you've had many, but is there one that you can share with us that stands out as really special?
1: A few years ago, I interviewed uh, Jim Rathman, and Jim is no longer with us. At the time, I believe he was the oldest living Indy 500 winner. Mm. And he told me his story. Now, it wasn't just the story of his winning the Indy 500. He'd done a lot of other things as well, among which was running Rathman Chevrolet in Florida and selling... Uh, Corvettes to some of the original seven astronauts. Oh, wow. In fact, in fact, Gus Grissom was a, the late Gus Grissom now, of course, was a good friend of his and Gus took him. Well, I'll put it this way. Jim scared the life out of Gus <laughs> showing him how to drive his Corvette. And Jim said, I knew because Gus was a real practical joker. He was going to do something to me. So he told me to come to the, uh, air base. I I don't know where the air base was in Florida, I guess, on the coast not far from where. He had the uh, dealership, perhaps Cape Canaveral area. Anyway, he said, come to the airport. I'm going to take you for a ride. So uh, he showed up at the airport and he said, picture this. I was wearing Wally Shiraz flight suit and helmet. Mm -hmm. So we got in the back seat of this T-38 Talon supersonic trainer. Gus was up front, of course. They took off and all of a sudden, Gus did a slow roll over the runway, and they were only about 20 feet off the ground. So he's looking out the top of the airplane at the ground, and then Gus took it up into a vertical climb, uh, rolling all the way up. And Jim said, I was cursing him out for scaring the life out of me. All of a sudden it came to the the headphones, gentlemen, you are on the air, watch your language. That was the tower talking to us, so I had to shut up. Uh And he Mm -hmm. said, I had to shut up even though... Uh, Gus just about made me sick doing all these aerobatics afterwards.
0: Holy cow.
1: <laughs> it was sad when he was killed. It was sad when he was killed in that Course. Apollo uh, accident.
0: Yeah. So that was,
1: that was, and it wasn't necessarily just the automotive aspect of it. It was of Jim Rathman, the man. Uh, yeah. And he had done some other things other than racing.
0: let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? And it can include a race car if you'd like. And maybe you could share a memory that you had with that vehicle.
1: When I taught in Toronto, I sponsored a uh, sports car club. And one of the boys who was in the club, his father owned an exotic car dealership. So I asked him, do you think, you know, your father would allow you to bring one of his exotic cars to show the kids? Oh, I don't know, Mr. Wright. These cars are really expensive. So one day, we're about to show a movie. I think it was uh, one of the old Shell oil movies of racing. And this kid shows up and says, Mr. Wright, I brought one of my dad's cars to the school. Oh, I said, what did you bring? And he said, a Lamborghini Miura S. Ooh. The classroom emptied out in about two seconds flat. I'll bet. So we uh, went out to the car, and the science teacher was there taking pictures, and took a picture of the car with the hood up with the big V12, six weavers and whatnot. So I had to tell ask this young man, could I drive the car? <laughs> so he said, okay, but I have to come with you. And I
0: said, that's no problem. <laughs> yeah.
1: So we get in it, crank it up, and we go out on a country road. And I thought, I looked all around me. I no cars, no people, no Ontario Provincial Police cars. We were doing maybe about 30, and I floored it well. It felt like you were in an F- F-14 being launched off a carrier deck. It was just, I had to get on the brakes almost immediately because we were doing highly illegal speeds. So drove back to the s- school very gingerly, and uh, that was it. That was an amazing Amazing automobile, just a really special
0: car. Oh yes, they are. And it was
1: it was for sale for the princely price of seventeen
0: thousand nine hundred. Oh geez, yes. That was nineteen seventy three,
1: though. Of Mark. course, that that's a lot
0: of money crazy. in seventy yeah. three. Yeah, sure, was. Little, sure did, was. little did we know. Yeah, I, I got to drive one of those as well, and it was a very similar experience. Just an amazing vehicle. Not only are they just one of the drop dead sexiest looking cars on the planet of all time, I think, but Really fun to ride, to drive, and with that engine right over your shoulder uh, makes it even oh. even better. So, fantastic.
1: I should also uh, mention the car I wished I'd been able to drive. Oh, yeah? Um, I was uh, at Road America in 2010, and the, they were having a Can-Am reunion, and I was walking through the paddock area when I saw a car I knew. And I looked on the side of it, and I did know this car, because a Canadian John Kortz drove it in the Can-Am series. Mm -hmm. So I said, I know this car. And the Tony Garmy, who was driving it, came over to me and said, yeah. And I introduced myself, and he said, you don't remember this, do you, Tony? He said, said, you sent me information on this car. Oh, I said, okay, now I remember. So we looked at it some more, and then Tony said, would you like to get in it? And it was so beautifully restored and so clean, I removed my shoes before I got in. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, this car is so clean, I can't defile it with my shoes. <laughs> he said, it's a race car. I said, took up my shoes, pardon me, and got in it. And uh, I said, I love this car. And I almost said to Tony, Tony, could you crank it up? Could I drive it around the paddock? And then I thought, no. <laughs> 700 horsepower.
0: Yeah. Tony's a friend of mine. I just talked to him this morning, as a matter of fact, which is a strange coincidence. He's going to be a future guest here on Cars, yeah. A uh, wonderful fabricator, mechanic, a builder of vintage cars, and an even better driver. Great guy.
1: They had a small-block Chevrolet in it, at the time, anyway. And in the race, he was having a great dice with a fellow with a high-wing Lola, I think a T-163, a big-block Lola. So mm-hmm. here's Tony in a small-block Chev leading this uh, big block Lola. I think the Lola finally won that particular heat. But Tony, the guy knew he had been in a race with Tony, that's for sure. So yeah. Tony, very good driver.
0: Yeah, Tony's excellent. Really nice guy, too. I really like Tony.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, he let me sit in the car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he's a good guy. He's let me sit in many of his cars.
1: I'll send you the picture because I sent it to John Courts, and John went into raptures about the car and told me all about it.
0: Very cool. Okay, I look yeah. forward to that. How about sellers' okay. remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've had that you wish you could have back in your garage?
1: My father was a bit of a sport, and he had a 1965 Mustang Fastback, six cylinder automatic, but really a pretty little car. And after we were married, we needed a, a second car, and my dad said, "No, no trouble. Look, you can you can have the Mustang because uh, you know it's just your mother and me, and, and we don't need it." and We were very proud, and we said, Sorry, Dad, we don't need it. We'll buy our own car. I wish I had taken him up on his offer. I would have probably still had that car in the garage, even though it was a little six-cylinder automatic. It was a pretty little car. There you go. fastback.
0: (laughs) Yeah, beautiful. How about current projects? Is there something you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up?
1: Yeah, this is a long-term project. It's coming up to... I think it's the 50th anniversary of the Can-Am. And in the fall of 1965, a fellow I was on the uh, board of the Canadian Motorsport Museum with, Ross and Croix, met with John Bishop and Jim Hall, Bruce McLaren, and Jim Kayser in a restaurant at the Glen, and they came up with the basis for the Can-Am. So I've taken that bit of history, and, in fact, i talked to Jim Kaeser, and he sent me his take on how the Can-Am started. And I'm working on a project called Canadians in the Can-Am. Oh,
0: cool.
1: And uh, although uh, John Quartz and Dave Billis, his, his manager, didn't have the budget of Team McLaren, they managed to do quite well in the Can-Am, at least in the early stages. And uh, there were other Canadian drivers who did well, too, like George Eaton, and there's also a fellow out in B.C. who built the Costello SP7, Sports Racing Group 7 car, David Sevilpec. And uh, I'm going to have his stories in on, on how he built his car for the Can-Am. So it's going to be called Canadians in the Can-Am. And uh, I think I might have somebody interested in a, a Toronto newspaper and, and running a, a series of articles. I don't know how much interest there would be in the States, but uh, there are a lot of um, American drivers who drove in the can and remember people like Roger McCaig and John Courts and uh, uh, David Seville-Peck and, and others. So yeah. that's that's a long-term project.
0: Awesome. Great. Now here's a very introspective question for you, John. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why?
1: <laughs> I think I'd like to be a 289 Cobra.
0: And why is because that?
1: Because it's... it's because the 427 was, oh my God, the 427 was like a 44 Magnum. You had to have it pointed in the right direction when you pulled the trigger. Otherwise, you'd go somewhere where you didn't want to go. The 289 Cobra was a powerful car, but more manageable. I drove an Autocraft Cobra, which belongs to a friend of mine, and that had all the power I would ever need and more. Sure. So yeah. I, would, uh, I, wouldn't <laughs> mind be, I wouldn't mind being my friend Pete's. Autocraft
0: Cobra. There you go. So, John, <laughs> up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, here's a little something for the Cars Yeah listeners. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to com and click on the free book button on the home page. Download your free filler-up book today at Cars Yeah. All right, John, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And you used race, you know what that means. The white flag is out. And this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Yep. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received?
1: Well, it was... uh from someone who's a uh, vintage racer and he said, you know, you you race because it's fun. You race because it's fun. Most of us, you you race because it's fun and if it stops being fun, then stop racing.
0: (laughs) Perfect advice. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success?
1: I'm not so sure that I'm terribly successful, but it's persistence.
0: Ah. Uh,
1: (laughs) Persistence. And and if, if your editor doesn't... Like the interview you sent him, and I've sent a few interviews that haven't been published yet. But you just keep persisting.
0: Yep, you stay with it. Absolutely, got to stay with it. Do you have a resource that you could share with the Cars Yeah listeners? You're really fond of. I know there are many of them out there, but if you can think of one for us, like a website or a blog,
1: Canadian Motorsport Museum uh, website is really a good one. Uh, a lot of stories on that website. And the other one is the VARAC website. VARAC is short for the Vintage Automobile Racing Association of Canada. If you want to get some history of racing in Canada, and a lot of Americans have come up to Canada to race and have done quite well, you'll find stories, you'll find photographs that uh, will take you back in time.
0: Great. Well, that's the first time for those two references. So I'll make sure those are up on your show notes page. And would you share one book that you've really enjoyed in the past with our listeners that you think they should get their hands on?
1: Yeah, anything by Michael Argettsinger, anything by David Friedman.
0: Hmm. I've got
1: got—I've communicated with Dave, uh, just, you know, short emails and whatnot. I met him briefly at Laguna Seca a number of years ago. Anything by Michael Argettsinger. He's written a number of really good books. The one I really like, the last, one of the last ones I purchased was uh, his book on Mark Donahue because Mark had a racing history in Canada. In fact, uh, we met Mark briefly after in 1972 after his debut with the big Porsche Turbo. We went up to him after the race, which he did not win because there were some malfunctions in the car, and he was very tired, sitting on the pit wall, but he actually talked to us. I asked him what, what happened with the car, and he told me. Meanwhile, over to my left, I'm still seeing this picture in my mind, Roger Penske is bustling around, getting, let's get the car loaded, let's get it, you know, let's get it back to the shop and whatnot. But Mark took five minutes to talk to us. Nice. And, uh, we were really saddened when, when, he, when he was killed. Oh, and I of got the story on, on his death uh, from an interview I did with Carl Kainhofer, which is something perhaps we can, uh, we can share a little bit later on. Wow,
0: sometime. wow, wow, amazing. Well, I'll remind our listeners that you can find links to all these resources at carsyad.com slash John Wright. John, do you have any interesting hobbies outside of your passion for cars?
1: Yes. I (laughs) ski, and uh, I instruct at our local ski hill. Um, I'm a, a part of a group called Track 3, Waterloo Region Track 3. We work with disabled children, and we keep them safe. That's the first order of business on the ski hill. We have fun. That's the second order of business. And three, we teach them a bit of skiing.
0: Fantastic. And I've been doing
1: that for about 10 years.
0: Oh, how wonderful. That's great. All right, John, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy for some people. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but money's no object, I'll buy you whatever you'd like today, so don't worry about that. But you can't sell it. You're going to have to keep it. What would that one vehicle be and why? Well, if
1: I... I've got an unlimited source of money.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm going to buy it. You know, money doesn't matter. But remember, you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other cars, so that little trick is off the table.
1: <laughs> I'd like the uh, the new McLaren.
0: What is it about that car that you like so much?
1: Well, a number of years ago, I saw one at Laguna Seca, and it really stood out for me because it had a parking ticket underneath the windshield wiper. <laughs> and I thought, this guy really cares about a parking ticket. You know, give me a break. But the the only drawback is that, uh, according to a Car and Driver article, it costs about $30,000 a year to maintain it.
0: Oh. So I'd have
1: to have the maintenance money included, not just the initial purchase price, Mark.
0: Okay. Well, I'm I'm happy to help you with that. Don't worry about that.
1: (laughs) Okay. Oh, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. I appreciate
0: it. (laughs) Today, I'm a a good guy. Every day, I'm a good guy to one of my (laughs) guests on Cars. Yeah. By the end of the year, I'll be so broke that uh, uh, I won't be able to buy anybody any cars next year. But. For you, we'll make sure we get that McLaren in your garage. What fun. John, you've taken me on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for joining me on Cars Yeah, all the way from Canada, kind of uh, up the hill and across the nation from me here in the Pacific Northwest. Could you give our listeners one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that McLaren?
1: Stay between the (laughs) guardrails.
0: Yes. Great.
1: Stay between the guardrails.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. Now, what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you?
1: Uh, you could probably subscribe to Vintage Race Car. Hint, okay. hint bit of ad. I'll, I'll, will tell Casey Annis that I've uh, plugged the magazine on on your on your podcast, so oh. he might be happy about that.
0: Absolutely, yes. Well, I hope so, and I'd love to get him on the show as well. Maybe you can connect us, but I'll make sure that we post. Links to Vintage Race Car and Victory Lane, and if you'd like, uh, old autos uh, on your show notes page so people can find those publications if they haven't already and subscribe to those. Uh, they're all great publications. I'm aware of two of those. I've been a longtime subscriber to uh, the two U.S. publications. So, listeners, you can go and find everything we've talked about here at Carsia yeah at carsiacom slash JohnWright. Thank you, John, for being so generous with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. It's been great fun. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road.
1: You take care, Mark, and uh, stay between the guardrails.
0: I will heed your advice. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun.